0: I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Hey, well, welcome back for another episode, folks. We are in week two of the 2022 South Dakota legislative session, and the Capitol is hopping. Everybody is staying busy. There are already, I don't know, we're in the neighborhood probably now as this is being broadcast on t- on Tuesday, over 150, 160, maybe even more bills filed by, by Tuesday. It's going to be busy. As mentioned before, money is a big topic of conversation amongst a lot of legislators. South Dakota has had, uh, like many states, an influx of federal cash, uh, coronavirus relief, uh, spending money that has come to the state of South Dakota, which has created a lot of work. You know, it's uh, the the wisdom in the Capitol is that the easiest uh, legislative sessions are during those years in which the state revenues are a bit leaner, um, but it gets a little busier and there's uh, a bit more dialogue, discussion, some might say argumentation when there's a lot of money on the table. So we are praying for wisdom, prudence and charity for all those legislators if they as they have those uh those conversations that are very very important um concerning the state state budget. We are going to talk about an important pro-life topic on the show today. We're going to talk about chemical abortions, sometimes called medication abortions. I don't really like that term because it's not medication. It's 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 chemical violence in the womb. Joining us today to talk about this question is dr. Glenn Ritter Dr. Ritter has a family practice in Sioux Falls is the director uh, the medical director at a pregnancy help center in Sioux Falls and now operating or soon to be operating throughout the state with a really great mobile mobile unit um, that they've they've recently upgraded to also the state director for the Catholic Medical Association Dr. Ritter welcome to the show Thank you Chris glad you're here okay. I've known you as Dr. Ritter for my whole life. Very, very long time. Thank you, by the way, for just like taking me camping as a kid. It's been great. <laughs> I've known you forever. Some people know you as Deacon Glenn Ritter. What's, uh, what's the, the story there? Uh, you've been a deacon for how many years now? a deacon it'll be four years coming up this May. Congratulations on uh, your deaconate ordination, which kind of raises the question. What do we call you? Deacon, doctor? Well, sometimes it's in too many syllables, so DDR. DDR, okay. Not a DDS, that's a dentist. DDR, so uh, Dr. Deacon Glenn Ritter. Um, You know, this this question of uh, chemical abortions has come to mind um, or is is sort of a contemporary news item um, because of something that the FDA has done recently. So we're going to get to that, but maybe just to start with, can you tell us a little bit about, Um, what is a chemical abortion, a medical abortion? What's involved and how does it work? Well, there's two basic chemicals.
1: And so you can actually call them medicines because they're approved by the FDA as medicines. Uh, One of them is used in all kinds of other situations. The second medicine is given. It helps protect stomachs from acid and ulcers and things and can be combined with like ibuprofen to protect your stomach. So it's... It's a, it's a good medicine in that situation. It's also a medicine that is used in labor and delivery. So people that aren't delivering this medicine, the second one that's given is a misoprostol that actually uh, enhances contractions, con- You know, matures the, the cervix and gets ready for contractions at the end of pregnancy so that it helps in delivery. Now they use that aspect of it in early pregnancy in these chemical abortions uh, because it also stimulates contractions early on to try and expel the products that are within the uterus. Now, it's the first medicine that is fairly new, came out, started to be called an RU486. It's the mifiprostone and this medicine actually works against the physiology of the female early in the pregnancy and later in the pregnancy it works against the physiology of the placenta of the baby both of these the ovary in the young woman early in the pregnancy produces a chemical called progesterone and it's a marvelous chemical that builds up throughout the regular reproductive cycle until after ovulation it kind of peaks and drops off And when it drops off, the lining of the uterus sloughs in what we call a period for the the periodic cycle of the female. Now, this new medicine goes against that, and it goes against when the mother gets to be about 12 weeks along, the placenta is large enough then that the ovary of the female kind of dwindles in its production and the placenta takes over. And the main thing that it does for the lining of the uterus is increase the dose of progesterone throughout the pregnancy. And that progesterone then maintains and builds up the lining of this pregnancy uterus. So it can house that child until term. And that kind of dwindles at the end of pregnancy, which some people think maybe that's why women go into labor because the progesterone starts a drop off. And so then uh, the lining of the uterus might get irritated and uh, then Labor starts and you have a normal, healthy baby. Uh, but early in the pregnancy, this mifepristone actually counters the progesterone because it's a progesterone antagonist. So when that is put on board, it tries to basically physiologically drop the, lower, the dose of the progesterone that the ovary is producing to maintain the lining of the uterus, which encompasses the house of the baby yeah and so when that happens you drop off the progesterone to say okay well now the uterus cannot keep the lining and then you cannot keep that connection with the baby and you lose the baby okay so the, the baby should die if we compromise the effects of the progesterone that's normally there and so in that We compromise the progesterone, drop the physiologic level, basically, and you lose the pregnancy. And then the second medicine, which is misoprostol, that actually enhances contractions. And so they expel then what they hope is a dead fetus. How does
0: the the timing work of this? So we've got these these two FDA-approved pharmaceutical drugs. Mifepristone is the first one. I'm just going to repeat back to make sure I understand. Tell me if I get something wrong. So, mifepristone is the first one, and that that one essentially cuts off the progesterone, which degrades the baby's home in the correct. womb, correct. so that the baby will die in the womb. Exactly. Then the second one, misoprostol, is taken at some point in time later, and that's the one that would induce the contractions so that the baby, which is now deceased, is expelled from the woman's body. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, can you say more about c- kind of just like the timing of, of how this works? Like what's the, the, the time period between when these two drugs would be taken in a medical abortion. All right. Well, in the state of South Dakota,
1: there is statutes that say that when they, the woman would go to the provider of abortions, the main one in South Dakota is Planned Parenthood. Then they would have to go to be seen Supposedly by a physician provider, and that provider then would counsel them. And then if they decide they want to have the abortion after that counseling, then they have to wait 72 hours before they could start that process. During that time, they are to see a pregnancy help center to get the other side of the picture because Planned Parenthood is notorious for not giving them the other side, that there's other options. There's other things we can support the pregnancy with. But then, in, during that seventy-two hour period, if they still feel like they're wanting to do the abortion, then they would present themselves again yep. to Planned Parenthood and get the first pill, which the f- provider, supposedly a physician, is supposed to be doing that. Uh, and they would watch the woman take the first pill. Yep. And then, in the past, the statute has always said they should be followed up to get the second pill, but. Uh, Planned Parenthood has been just sending them home with a little baggie with the second medicine in it so they could take it on their own at home uh, about 24 to 72 hours after the first pill is taken. And then uh, after that, they would say, well, they would likely go through the contractions and expel what they would expect to be
0: a dead baby. So I want to talk a little more about kind of the FDA change and South Dakota law. Before we get to that, though, I want to just take a step back to this this first one, Mifepristone, and and what it does. Can you just describe, sometimes just de- understanding details, I think, are helpful. Can you describe, like, what this experience is like for the life in the womb? Like, what is, what is actually happening? What causes the death? What is this child going through? All right. Well, if you
1: realize that as soon as that conceptus is within the lining of the uterus, it's already about two weeks old, has about 100 cells, and it implants into the lining of the uterus. And so we don't live on the surface lining of the uterus. We are embedded deep into the lining of the uterus that is controlled and maintained by progesterone. Hmm. And so there then the the cells absorb and get rid of waste products and things uh, before the placenta is big enough to take over. And so again, that's where we, we aren't dependent on the placenta at that point. We're dependent on the ovary to maintain the lining, just like it maintains the lining in a regular period. Yep. And then once the pregnancy occurs, the body, woman's body is given a signal to maintain that progesterone a little longer than it would if it wasn't pregnant. Yep. And that usually is 12 to 13 weeks, something like that, okay. before the placenta is big enough. And so then when that mifeprestone is given, then again, compromises the main support system for the lining of the uterus. And so that disables that connection between the conceptus, the fetus and the mother.
0: And so that it basically cuts off the lifeblood to the baby. It's not getting it's not getting nutrients, it's not getting blood, it's not getting what it needs and it's not to...
1: being able to get rid of any waste products it has. Uh-huh. So it's a toxic situation. And so that in nature about a quarter of all pregnancies are lost. Yeah. And most of those happen well before the mother even knows she's pregnant. She might just get a, you know, a you know, heavier period. Yeah. And that's basically because we build up the little lining more than it would have otherwise been. And when she has a period, it's larger and more cramping. And so then a lot of women will go on later in the pregnancy and maybe have what we call a miscarriage, which is a spontaneous thing. Something happened uh, to the lining of the uterus that does similar to what this drug does. And the baby just passes away. Nobody knows because it's early enough. The mother doesn't really recognize maybe that she's even pregnant and certainly uh, she is not noticing baby kicking and things like that, which usually happens by about 20 weeks. Yep. And so it basically kind of smothers the child. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So um, again, we're going to get to the FDA. I do want to, so kind of just understanding this process, this brings to mind for me too a bill that I think you testified on behalf of last year it was house bill uh, 1130 if you remember that one, I know the numbers, we get them confused. So this was this was the one um they call it abortion discontinuance or abortion pill reversal. It was requiring that a woman be advised that if she has doubts or changes her mind after taking that first pill, the Mifepristone, that there may be a chance that she could if she's changed her mind that she could save that life and discontinue the, the protocol. So the reversal is not exactly, you know, because it's not a guarantee. There's not a scientific certainty that you can sort of reverse it, but you can discontinue it and introduce a sort of take other medical steps that in some cases can save the child's life. Great, great law. That's good information that, that mothers should have at that point. Can you, Just tell us a little bit how that works. Um, uh, The reversal,
1: the terminology has been changed because the medical intervention is not reversing the effects of methotepristone. It is competing with that medicine. And basically, the only simple medicine that we use to do this is progesterone. That is either driven from yams or soybeans, and it's almost identical to what the woman produces. It's not harmful at all during pregnancy. We use it all the time to help in women that have had miscarriages or recurrent miscarriages to kind of support yep. that system until the placenta is big enough to take over. And so, um, in the we call it a rescue instead of a reversal, yeah, because we're rescuing this child. And uh, the literature say that some. Up to 80% of the women have regrets once they made this decision. And uh, so then when the medicine is given, then progesterone can be added. And as soon as possible after the first medicine is ingested, the higher the likelihood we are to have success. So the medicine just uh, competes with progesterone. So it's generally not believed to be harmful to the pregnancy unless it kills the child, of course. Yeah. Uh, because it kind of smothers the child. So that uh, one of the arguments that the abortion providers would say is that we're increasing risk for abnormalities of the child, and nobody knows that. Uh, And so if you give this medicine, basically we just give enough progesterone to compete with the progesterone antagonist that we can still maintain enough of progesterone to maintain the lining of the uterus, which
0: then maintains the pregnancy within that lining of the uterus. So, it'll maintain the pregnancy long enough for the effects of the mifepristone to diminish, and then the body kicks in again, and the child is... Takes off on its own. So, can I ask you about any success stories? I mean, have you seen this play out? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, I happened to be involved in the very first
1: one that was ever attempted in the state of South Dakota uh, about two years, almost two and a half years ago now. Yeah. So there was a young woman from Sioux City who uh, became pregnant and the boyfriend did not want to have her have this baby, so drove her from Sioux City to Des Moines because there was no provider of abortions in Sioux City. And so she took the pill at about 1 o'clock on a Friday afternoon uh, about two and a half years ago, and she was supposedly about eight weeks pregnant. And uh, on her way back from Des Moines to Sioux City, she had her regrets already. Hmm. There is an abortion reversal hotline that's national, and they try and hook the women up to somebody regional or locally that could do something to help with this uh, rescue process. And that happened to be me being educated through the Catholic medical association on how to do this probably a couple years before this happened. Uh, but never having done it. And I have worked with a lot of pregnancies in my tenure. And so I had the progesterone in my office, the progesterone that we would use to turn this around. And I had all the protocol in my office. And so I was called Friday afternoon. I'm off work and, um, uh, She was certain that she wanted to do this rescue. And so she took the pill at one o'clock in the afternoon. And by nine o'clock that night, she was in my office. Mm. And um, so, yeah, she knew she wanted to to reverse this process. And after visiting with her, found out some very interesting things about her, that she was Catholic. She belonged to a Catholic parish in Sioux Mm. City. Uh, She was Hispanic wonderful little gal and was very certain she wanted to try and maintain this pregnancy. So after visiting with her, we started the protocol in which she had to show up both not only Friday, the day that she was there, but Saturday and Sunday, and then twice a week until she was about uh, 14 weeks along Hmm. to get this treatment. And the treatment was pretty good sized doses of progesterone that's commonly used in pregnancy for the same reason to maintain pregnancies who are spontaneously miscarrying. And uh, so she did this and the first night she was there by herself. The second day she was there with her sister and the third day, Sunday, she was there with her parents Mm. who wanted to see if I was real. And uh, we did an ultrasound the following week Discovering that she was due on the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Ah,
0: oh, praise God!
1: On twelve, twelve. Oh my goodness! And uh, and I was I was supposed to preach that coming weekend, and so her story was used in my homily, that was okay with her. Yeah. And uh, so after we had the protocol going for a little while, then I turned her over to a physician down in Sioux City that would take her through the rest of the pregnancy. And she delivered Little Roman, not on the Feast of Guadalupe, but on December
0: 8th. Immaculate.
1: Immaculate Conception.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow.
1: So do you think there's a plan for this little boy, Mr. Roman? Amen. And I've had birthday cake delivered to me from Sioux City for his first birthday and just a few days ago for his second birthday.
0: Wow. Wow. He-
1: so he's a marvelous little two-year-old. Healthy. Healthy healthy little boy, rambunctious as all two-year-olds. I have, I have one right now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's great. So yes, yeah, it's very successful. And the the protocol by some studies would say it's about 70% effective at rescuing these pregnancies to the point where a lot of pregnancy rescue clinics are now set up as close as possible to Planned Parenthood as they
0: can mm. around the country. Well, and that's so good because Planned Parenthood is wanting to do more and more of these chemical, medical abortions, uh, even to the extent of now you see these online places are, they're popping up other parts like Europe and they're shipping these chemicals to women. I've, you know, recently seen articles about them do, very explicitly acknowledging they're doing this in Texas to circumvent Texas law and, and could be doing it in South Dakota too, which kind of brings us up to, we've got about eight minutes left. we got to talk about the FDA can you tell us what the FDA has done in the last year with regard to these, these drugs? Well, the
1: FDA kind of, as a response to COVID, it sounded like, so that we we're seeing a lot less face-to-face, You know, realized that this uh, misoprostol, the second med, has been around for years and is very safe. Uh, and so they said, well, we don't really need to control this. Yeah. And uh, the first one, I don't know how they sidestepped the issue on the mifeprostone. But uh, they decided that we can almost do like telemedicine and send them out, send the drugs
0: out, mail order. Yeah. So in South Dakota, so we've got that first initial consultation. They come back the second time. They got to see the same doctor because that sounds like good medical care to me. Correct. Um, The first drug would be taken then, Mifepristone. And what the FDA is trying to make possible is that you go home and you take the second one at home, which sounds kind of frankly lonely and scary. Oh, exactly. And, and what South Dakota has done recently through um, this rules process, and I think there's probably a statute coming at some point, is a requirement that the missa Bristol be taken at a at the medical facility as well in the presence of a Correct. Uh, provider. Can you tell us why that might be important?
1: Well, it's kind of like if you even compare it to a miscarriage, the body does a very good job if your's a spontaneously miscarrying the child. Intervention is oftentimes not needed medically surgically at all, because the female wonderful dynamic body can take care of this very nicely on its own, yeah, and in a much more uh, timely and uh, safe m- way. yeah uh, <clears throat> And so when we, See that patient for that third visit when the provider, abortion provider, would see him for that third visit. You could find out, did the woman miscarry already anyway? We could do an ultrasound and say, okay, well, you're losing the pregnancy all by itself. It's leaving on its own. You're already doing some cramping. We don't need to implement this drug, which oftentimes leads to a very violent labor and contractions to deliver this dead child and what Planned Parenthood say, in the comfort and surrounded by their, uh, their support in their own home. Mm. And there's many stories where women are very upset because it is very violent, contractions and bleeding. And if they are hemorrhaging in their own home, uh, they're generally not surrounded by people because this is a secretive thing. Nobody admits that they're pregnant or that they're aborting. Uh, and so they are surrounded by nobody. Mm. And so they're going through a tremendously traumatic time, a torturous delivery of this supposed dead fetus. Um, And it would make much more sense to look at the woman before that, see if she has changed her mind, which a lot of times they have, uh, and to look at it with an ultrasound again and say, well, what's going on? What's happening? Yeah. And so it does. It's make good medical sense that you don't just throw meds at people to take it home that are going to cause significant problems.
0: Well, you know, when I was reading the FDA's fact sheet about, you know, this change, and and what they're talking about is patient access, which to me, that kind of sounds like maybe some political speak for more abortions. And they, they say there are risks, but they're balancing the benefit of patient access against risks that they're saying, like these, these major... Uh, major complications uh, like a. four percent so it's not enormous but still like one in 200 women maybe with a major complication like it it sounds like and what you're describing is it's not necessarily the most pleasant thing in the world and oh my, no it's very serious too yeah um, wh- what um Looking at kind of our South Dakota abortion numbers, if I can, just for a minute, you know, we've seen a really good, good trend in our, our numbers positive 2019, uh, uh, 414 abortions in the state, state of South Dakota, um, just tragic. 332 of those were South Dakota women. The rest would maybe be coming in from Sioux city or Southwest Minnesota, 2020, um, there was pretty significant decline, perhaps attributable to, uh, Coronavirus, the Planned Parenthood was closed for some time, down to 125 abortions. 106 of those South Dakota residents. Do you have a sense of of how many of those? And I think the data is available somewhere. I don't have it in front of me. Do you, uh, roughly, how many of those would be chemical abortions, like we've just been talking about? Well, one of the things is the recording. You don't know yeah. how accurate it is, especially if they're just getting
1: mail order medicine. Are they really recording that? No. Yeah. Do you? Are you certain you had the miscarriage? You know, no. Uh, so most of those are probably still recorded as the surgical abortions. And so the, the numbers are skewed. We think that we're doing really good when, in fact, a lot other of other uh, abortions are done with this medical means. Uh, and so the numbers appear to be down, but that may be very deceiving because of the reporting process. Um, and the whole idea of this... You know, inconvenience of having to come back in and see the same provider for this third medicine, which just boggles my mind that when has inconvenience ever been, you know, a factor in medical care? Right. I said, well, you know, you get up every morning, that's inconvenient, but you kind of do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly, uh, as a physician, you come in and you're taking call uh, and maybe up nights, you know, taking care of patients, which is certainly inconvenient, but it's for the betterment of the patient. Yeah. And so then when they're talking about this inconvenience with Planned Parenthood, it it would be much more likely that it's inconvenience on the part of the provider. Yes. Because I have to show up again. Yeah. And uh, as far as the woman... That inconvenience can be very educational to say yes, you need to come in, and we need to figure out where you are. What's this doing to you? Do we need the second medicine at all?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. a lot, a lot going on there, and hopeful that we'll see a statute kind of come to address the same, uh, the same issue, and just solidify some things in South Dakota law. Uh, Deacon, Dr. Glenn Ritter. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Chris. And thank you as always, dear listeners, for tuning in. It was great to have you with us. We'll be back next week with Dr. Chris Bergwald. We're going to talk about some of the moral components of the bills we're seeing up in the Capitol. And um, as always, we love to hear feedback. Reach out, sdcatholicconference.org. You can now find us on Twitter at sdcatholicconf, uh, C-O-N-F there at the end. And Instagram, Facebook, uh, and YouTube. Until next time, live well.